Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Ooh, that sounded so... That was good enunciation, everybody. I'm excited. Uh, excited. Um, th thank you. If you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, and also wearing cool shoes. Um, speaking of which, say hello, Nathan Phillips. Hi. How you doing? Good. All right. Thank you for asking. It's my pleasure. People, people don't ask me how I'm doing. Well, I mean, how's the podcast life treating you? So far, so good, I guess. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dead or yeah. starving. <laughs> um, uh, so the fun thing is when I Googled you first. Oh, boy. Uh, there's, Can I guess? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Either. Yep. Snakes on a plane. <laughs> Nathan Phillips stars Snakes on a plane. Or Nathan Phillips, the Fiorella LaGuardia of Toronto. Therefore, there's a Nathan Phillips Square in Toronto. Yes. Get tagged a lot on Instagram of just tourists in Toronto just being like, having a great time at Nathan Phillips. <laughs> You're like, who? Um, there's uh, Nathan Phillips, the Ren Fair actor in England, outside of London. There's Nathan Phillips, the doctor in Boston. And then there's Nathan Phillips, just me, Nathan Phillips. And then there's Nathan Phillips, who's like this kind of like noodly guitar player guy who lives in like Western Pennsylvania. There's a, I don't know how many, I can't do math, but there's a sixth one, I think. Uh -oh. um, there's Nathan Phillips, and a Native American activist. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's hot on the scene. Yeah, he got, yeah. He got in a lot of trouble. Um, um, so I, yeah. I got a lot of attention on the internet, um, both positive and negative, because I happen to be, um, as an early adopter, I'm at Nathan Phillips on most of the social platforms. So whenever a Nathan Phillips is in the news, I find out about it because uh, people are reaching out to me. And they had very strong opinions about that gentleman. On a downbeat, in the documentary that Meek Mill was in about, you know, the Free Meek documentary, uh, there was another Rameek, which is his, his name, who got killed. And they thought they all thought it was him. Oh, my God. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to... No, okay, so... There's a word for that. Google ganger. Really? Yeah, I looked it up. Huh. All right, I've already learned something. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first thing I love about your bio, and I want you to kind of define this for me, is um, I'm not a storyteller, mm -hmm. which publicly people would argue. But um, tell us about that. So <clears throat> um, what I mean when I talk about not being a storyteller is um, about the way that we think about what that means. So um, A, when, when you tell a story, it's kind of like a creative act of violence, right? Like, <laughs> here, take it, right? This is my story. And it's a big um, chunk of information, right? That you have to kind of, as an audience, listen to. If you get bored halfway through, you're either going to walk out of the movie Right. But to actually get the or whole turn story. off the podcast, turn off the podcast. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you got to sit there and you have to, you have to receive it. Um, but I think that there's other ways to kind of engage in information. And then, um, about the story part. Um, I think that the way that I think about a story is, um, a story is always about the past, right? One day, once upon a time, mm -hmm. um, a story is always about heroes, and about gods, mm -hmm. right? Um, about other people. But a narrative um, is the, the place in which a story happens. Um, it's the house you walk around in and create the story that you're ultimately going to tell. So I really like the idea of thinking about um, creating environments that facilitate people creating their own stories. So um, 
you know, some people talk about story living and all this different mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I just think that uh, right now, what I'm most interested in is um, engaging people and helping them make choices that are unusual, um, engaging people and tricking them into uh, engaging in fictional experiences that right. they think are real. Um, or just for a second, um, looking around and kind of checking into the fact that there's so much around us that is either amazing or colorful, um, that, you know, all of a sudden they're like, oh wait, this is the story. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have to sit back and listen to somebody else tell me something. Why why do you gravitate towards the trickery of it? I think it's it's very Andy Kaufman-esque of you. It's just like, is this real? Is it not real? This is surprisingly different in either case. But why why creatively do you gravitate toward that? Um, <clears throat> the art of leisure domain. Um, the I don't I don't I I think the word trickery is awesome, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I I never I don't really think about it as trickery, but. To answer well, you just did say the word I trick. I was I just know, like, I know, I know. but no, but and, I, and I'm but also I knew being what you super meant. cagey about answering it. <laughs> but um, the way that I think about it is um, that uh, art and um, advertising, right? Art where you have to prove something um, is all about getting people to either think something they didn't think before, feel something they didn't feel before, or believe something that they didn't believe before. Mm-hmm. And whether you call it um, trickery or magic or uh, comedy jokes, or education, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or advertising. Um, To me, it's all the same thing. Um, What is the most impactful way to do it is to get people to notice it for themselves, right? Talking advertising about the, um, like a beautiful print ad is completed by the viewer, right? right? Like it's it's not totally prescriptive about the message. It's like you look at it and you're like, oh, I get it. And it happens in your head. Right. Um, I think you can extend that um, really deeply into all sorts of participatory experiences, digital ones, real life ones. Well, speaking of which, you relatively recently packaged all this philosophy and mayhem and doing into that. Yeah. Um, Tell us about that. Cool. Um, So that is an acronym. Um, what's an acronym? Okay. We can no. <laughs> Listen, so once, once you come up, once you start talking about the name, it's just like, it, yeah. you keep saying it. It's good advertising. Um, no, it's good. The, uh, so the name of the company is Technology, Humans, and Taste. Um, and um, I can tell you about the name in two different ways. Um, so first of all, um, I think about <clears throat> our job um, as a creative company um, is to create desire, right? And um, that... I'm pointing for those of you at home. Um, I want that. That's like the most primal, simple expression of desire. I want that. And when you see something out in the world that you've never seen before, how do you describe it? What's that? Right? Look at that. Um, did you see that? Um, <laughs> right. If it's like like the like John Wick three is unbelievable. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. I mean, <laughs> Holly Berry. Oh my God. Dogs. That, was, she, that scene was so long. And I was, the, the longer, the more that, sorry, I know you're but tangent. The longer that scene went on, the more and more I was impressed with it. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, it could have been a quick fight, but it mm-hmm. was just like the amount of choreography and thought and creativity that went into that was constant escalation. Yes. And what I love about, um, just as a side note, and um, part of the that spiel ultimately is born out of um, thinking about action movies. Um, because they're like a truly American form of storytelling. And what I love about action movies is it's so simple 
and it always requires an escalation. And it's like John Wick 3, what are they going to do? Holly Berry has two trained dogs. And not <laughs> exactly. only are they also attacking people, but at a certain point where she's like bending over and the dog's like jumping off her back at yeah. the wall. They the thought of everything. Cord, it was so yeah, good. So good. Yeah. Um, so uh, technology, humans, and taste. <laughs> um, the reason we love the idea of that is um, it, we wanted to kind of, A, create things that people hadn't seen before. And we can talk a little bit about um, how we do that and force ourselves to do that. Um, but the, we also wanted to really focus on, um, quantifiable, um, measurable ways to hold ourselves accountable to always create something original. And that's where the acronym comes into play because all the ideas that we make, we try to include technology, humans, and tastes. And the way we break that down is, um, if you think about a company like Google, um, it's very much about technology and humans right? It's um, super friendly, incredibly easy to use, hyper simple. The colors are, you know, very welcoming, but the way that they create things is iteratively. So if you evaluate Google based on what they've killed, it's like a dangerous place to think of ideas because so much goes, comes up and then goes away. And then what they retain is amazing, right? Um, but Google Plus and all the rest of it mm -hmm. that fell away is just part of their creative process because it's not curated so much as um, designed like a product, right? Iteratively. Whereas you think about like Apple, um, that's technology and tastes, right? Once a year, we're going to make something perfect. Right. <laughs> and everybody knows. And then if there's anything that's even like slightly slightly off my, my first gen apple pencil <laughs> you're like what happened right? right because um they're not it's not about me so much as a human right it's a platform but it's highly curated so what happens if you can make stuff that is employs technology in the service of human experience um but also brings in that level of curation yeah. and craft that i think a lot of the time in innovation and technology products is an afterthought because you're launching beta stuff and you're you're testing stuff and you don't necessarily have the time to say we have to make this so beautiful, right? And perfect. Um, speaking of Google, you worked there before. Mm -hmm. uh, what was missing that made you start uh, that? What I was inspired by was the good reframing yeah thank you <laughs> thank you <laughs> um what i was inspired by was the people that were there um and the idea that um a community um full of diverse thinkers um was brought together and brought to bear on the problems of the world and um, it was really inspiring to think about this idea of um you know building for billions of people right and um the people that I encountered there, um, you know, graffiti artists, filmmakers, everyone's just so talented and so smart. And what I really took away from there is that all of these different types of geniuses mm -hmm. all speak different languages. Um, and so for me in uh, starting Technology, Humans and Taste, um, I thought about that language problem and the idea of translating between different types of expertise. So when we started the company, um, we didn't start from a place of saying, um, you know, based on my background, this is what I'm really great at. Or my, uh, my partner, Dave Calvert, this is what he's great at. And we're going to do that again and again. Um, we started by saying, let's be good enough at our jobs to admit that we don't know what the future holds. Right. right? And let's go out and say to potential clients or collaborators, like you don't either. Let's figure it out together. But nobody wants to believe that. 
No, you know, because the one thing that impressed me about that, I'm just going to keep calling it that, because mm-hmm. um, otherwise there's a lot of syllables and I'm lazy. It's just conversational. <laughs> no, is that, you know, everyone, t- look, I used to run the innovation practice at OMD, right? Mm-hmm. And so everyone sees the fact that the agency model needs to change, especially if there's an innovation tent or bend to it. Um, but you went out and did it, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think there's that's a whole other ball of wax in and of itself is to you've kind of created ambiguity. Like we don't know what that is, you know, until we get in the room and you also have to convince your clients to go along on that journey of exploration and trust that they will get a tangible result at the end of it. Um, How did you approach that part of the business mechanics to, you know, know that we can do work for a Walmart or, you know, your other clients Mm -hmm. And they trust this, I'll call it ambiguity. I'm sure you have a better way of reframing it. Mm -hmm. So um, we like to refer to ourselves as the safe way to be risky. Um, And there's a lot of steps to that. First of all, as a company, whether we're making stuff for brands or ourselves or in collaboration with other, with other creative professionals, um, we're very rigorous about the way that we work from the way that our office is laid out um, to the way that we hire people to the way that we collaborate with people. We've got like more rules and in place than any other place that I've worked. Um, And that's there to allow us to really um, be free and forward thinking and reckless in the way that we're seeking out the right answer. Um, And, Part of that in terms of communicating with clients is the backgrounds of the people that work at the at the company, um, whether they're artists we've collaborated with that have like really strong backgrounds um, or the kind of leadership in the company who you trust them. Right. Especially the the people who we bring into meetings. It's like you you know enough based on looking them up that like, they're probably not going to do anything totally insane. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. And then when we, when we break down the process, um, the fact is like, um, it works. Right. And, um, we had a meeting recently cause we're coming up on our third year. Um, and the, the kind of thesis of the presentation was that the experiment is over. Um, and we started out with an experiment on our first Friday, um, in our first week in our basement office in Soho. Um, where we didn't start out with a client, we started out with um, an experiment and I created a form that it looks like a tax form. And um, the idea is that it's all the steps of coming up with an idea written out in a phenomenally rudimentary way. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody's invited to join us because we still have that meeting every Friday at four. But broadly speaking, you write down a truth, you write down a problem, um, and then you try to solve the problem with the truth. Um, and then there are a couple other little fields in the form that you fill out. And when you're done, like it or not, you've come up with a strategic solution to a problem that is a beautiful idea. Now, some of them are completely nuts. Some of them are super good. (laughs) Um, but in doing that, um, we came up with a way again of creating a vocabulary that anyone can understand. Right. So to go back to the, the thing about Google, um, when you've got experts, like if you're the world's greatest drummer and I'm the world's greatest painter and we're going to collaborate. Right. Um, you're not going to be able to bring like your best kind of thinking because I just don't speak drumming. Right. Right. So you're going to have to kind of figure out how to talk to me about it. And the thing that we're going to make together isn't the like most phenomenal combination of painting and drumming. What it is, is like a little bit in the middle. 
right? Because we got to dumb it down for each other to kind of communicate. So this meeting was about creating a format where you could bring everything you have as an individual, right? Um, And I could bring everything I have as an individual and we could find a way to collaborate together and create original ideas. We've iterated on that process. So now for our client work, um, it's a multi-step process that feels very different that feels really fun, Mm -hmm. that feels really risky and results in work that up to this point has consistently been really effective. And that was a question mark in the beginning. Like we knew we wanted to do it different. We knew we wanted to like really stick to our guns and hold ourselves accountable to keep it weird, right? And keep it special and always focus on solving problems. And it just happened to work out. And now we've built um, a business around it. So this like the safe way to be risky theory. Uh, there had to be part of that in your business in the beginning. You know, were, were there certain like nuts and bolts thing you were doing at the beginning where, I don't know, like we'll do a social media campaign on top of this crazy ish idea. Like what, what was your safety net in the beginning? Cause I, again, I go back to just my own personal experience. Like not everybody gets it right out the gate, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to show them some stuff or, or, handhold them a little bit. Right. The, I think, um, it comes down to like the productization of your spiel. Um, or in our case, like we focused on, um, a teachable methodology, right? So whatever we're doing, I want to be able to explain to whoever we're working with, right. Including our clients. So the thing that clients buy from us is, um, a menu of 25 ideas. Um, so a traditional agency is going to come in and be like, we've been gone for like two months, spent <laughs> so much money and had all these people working on it. And like idea number one is this, I'll show you a print ad. You're never going to run. And then like, and this is the TV spot you can't afford. Right. <laughs> and you go through it. And the first idea, the client's like, yes, we, we remember that idea when we thought of it three years ago and, you know, didn't like it. And then the second idea, same thing. It's like, this is what it looks like on Twitter. This is what it looks like on Facebook. They're like, we know what Twitter is. We know what Facebook is. <laughs> right. And at the end, they're like, we love the, you know, the font and the kind of vignette of the image. But at the end of the day, maybe not that idea. The third idea, they're like, we love the idea. Let's take the vignette from the second idea and then the the name of the first idea. And they create a mashup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you never execute the thing you pitch. Or very, very rarely is you really dropping like ready to buy work on people. So our process, which again um, is rigorous and has a lot of specific steps to it, results in um, 25 ideas that we um, bring to life for a client in an epic creative presentation um, that's very beautifully rendered um, and thoughtfully performed and brought to life. (laughs) There legitimately is like one of our first... (laughs) I figured I could say something <laughs> random to you and it might be true. Well, because the thing is like when you, when, um, when you have to communicate an idea, I think that's as important as the idea itself. Right? right. Not, it's not just pitch theater. Oh, absolutely. Right. And so one of our first, um, one of our first, uh, things, we created this thing called the walk box for Michael Kors. And, um, it was a really amazing project. Um, and happy to talk about it, but ultimately to bring it to life, we hired two dancers, two Broadway performers as technologists, and we had them prototype a hundred different ways of walking. And then me and Calvert used to be a cinematographer Mm -hmm. and, um, our office mate, um, who is uh, Mark Mann, this incredible photographer, mm-hmm. went out on the streets and I was holding up the speaker because I have no real skills and Beyonce was playing. And these two amazing movers went out on the streets of Soho and 
moved, right? And just walked. And they were like, it was like kiki ball. It was like unbelievable, voguing, <laughs> break dancing. There's a hundred people all gathered around. There's music playing. And that was the creative presentation. And that's how you communicate this idea that, for example, walking is a form of personal expression. Yeah. What's the future of the runway, right? So in communicating an idea, often the craft that's required to, to show somebody what the future looks like if you're making something truly original, um, that's a big part of the sales process. And we've devoted a lot of energy to bringing our ideas to life, not just in the end result, but also the craft of communicating those ideas. And I think that's something that falls through the cracks a lot. Oh, yeah. I've, I mean, I've continually looked at innovation as more so the process. I've recently called it an operating system. Mm -hmm. It's like, it, and not an end result. It's the, you know, it's the process by which you get to an end result. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing I, I liked about that little story you just told is, it, is that you were very animated. Um, what emotional value do you get out of your day-to-day -day work? Like, it sounds like the the birth of the idea or the forming of the idea or the persuasion of the, like there's something in there that like wakes you up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The, the, I get, I'm an, an enthusiastic individual. Um, you sound on, like it. On the dim sum floor. You have to, <laughs> yeah. You have to write down your I'm superpower. I'm an enthusiastic individual. I'm an enthusiastic individual. <laughs> the, um, but, um, when, when making stuff and, uh, I think, and I don't think this is too, um, this is not intended to be morose for this beautiful Los Angeles afternoon, <laughs> but, um, I think the, one of the, my superpower as a creative individual is, um, my kind of existential dread, that idea of, you know, what does it all mean? And just constantly being keyed into the fact that like, basically everything is meaningless, right? But making stuff therefore is the only thing that matters. Right. Mm. And that's, um, in the way that I collaborate with my six-year-old and my two-year-old and mm -hmm. just kind of creating moments together and going on little journeys with them, but also sitting down with people and, um, coming up with stuff The to go far back into, um, history as a young man. Um, I started doing improv like very early in life and mm -hmm. in high school was doing, um, where'd you grow up? Fall River, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, <clears throat> The, but I lied about my age when I was in high school and joined this improv group called Improv Jones in Providence, um, nearby cultural Mecca. And so in high school would, uh, spend Thursdays and Saturdays doing shows with an audience. And I think, um, this is before the days of kind of the productized commercial improv that's out there now. This is much more kind of scrappy and, um, artsy fartsy, mm -hmm. but it wasn't about yes. And it was about endowing somebody with the gift of information, right. right? So when you start a scene with somebody, here's like something new that you haven't thought of. Hey dad, right? Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're my dad, right? And you're like, oh, so you're wearing my championship ring, right? And now I realize like you're a high school athlete and I'm probably <laughs> a high school athlete and we're building this world together. Right. And I think that act of endowing somebody with information that they weren't aware of is like such a pure way to express joy. And I just get off on that. Yeah, so much. That no, was that's, such a long answer. But. No, it's a great, but it's, I mean, it's truthful. It's, it's especially is the admission, I guess I'll call it that, is of where your starting place is. Right? Is is relatively dark. Right? It, <laughs> um, I mean, even for myself, I think I, I, I tell people all the time, like I have imposter syndrome. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm always like, 
All right. How, what can I do that I'm excited about that I know they'll be excited about because I almost feel like I'm not v- valuable enough to be here. Mm-hmm. But it also creates awesome stuff. So it's learning to turn and your negative was very soft, right? But it's like turning the negative into like amazing outputs and mm-hmm. owning that, that that space. Can I add one thing to it? You can do whatever. This is an improv. We're just, we're endowing this. Um, I yes, think I the one of the things that um, we're really committed to collaborate collaboration and, um, creative dim sum, which is the methodology that we employ at work, um, requires participation from people that you don't know, because I also think that my, um, existential doom is like kind of a creative place of privilege a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think a lot of the time the work that I make is like, can be very, very, out there yeah um and i think um connecting to other people's kind of whatever they're pushing off against that's helping them kind of come up with interesting ideas is where things get really interesting because i'm as much as i enjoy making stuff up um i'm so i think it's important to be making stuff up with other people because if i just do a solo improv show um in which i did and they were fine but like I could kind of, you know, build a scene or kind of dialogue with the audience, but where it really gets special yeah. is when we step out in somewhere we've never been before. And that requires people with diverse and eclectic points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the process that we designed forces that where you're exchanging problems and truths with other people. So you're creating, um, kind of with, with other people's information and not just always with yourself. It's a little bit of planned serendipity it, it sounds like right like mm-hmm. we know if we have the right mix of people who and we kind of give them the mechanics by which to participate and be empowered in that mm-hmm. moment and also have a fun time doing it then mm-hmm. the magic will happen big time i think serendipity and steven johnson uses that word um and i think that it's uh, a really great one and we talk about it at work um we're less about kind of um telling the world what the right thing is and more committed to remaining open to inspiration and being inspired by the people we meet and being inspired by the people we bring into our space. Because I think like a good idea isn't something you have a good idea, is something you notice. Mm. And the more people, the more weirdos, the more data points you can like surround yourself with, the more likely you're going to be like, Whoa. As you're talking, I I made up a phrase, cold chemistry, right? Because I was going to ask you about chemistry between like you and Dave, right? And as far as like starting a company, but also I think this is a little bit more interesting. Um, the cold, the idea of cold chemistry, like walking into a room and building, like how, how long is a, is a dim sum session? Like for instance? For, well, we have our Friday at four mm-hmm. and then we have the other dim sum session. Right. So the rigorous client dim sum where we're working against a brief and working with a client and everything takes two to six weeks. Mm. But our Friday dim sum, is we an hour okay maybe a little bit more yeah because i think about you know any of us walk into a room to pitch to have a meeting like you got to get through the oh, where'd you grow up behind mm-hmm. the, the cordialities i guess and then you know even in a lot of my interviews right it's like the first five or ten minutes is like okay mm-hmm. by the you know my by minute 30 like we're rolling right mm-hmm. um so what have you learned about chemistry as it relates to people gathered in a room and creating things? That's a wicked good question. Um, I think the, it's really hard to get a room full of people to feel the same thing, except for one thing, which is awkwardness. 
right? Um, <clears throat> I think there's like very few examples. Like you can go into any restaurant. If you start singing happy birthday, everybody sings happy birthday together. That's like one magic trick. I think that like Western culture is pulled together. It's so beautiful, right? And <laughs> it's, it's the, fun it's to the only it. trick I think. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> everybody will do it no matter who they but are. But one right? theory though about happy birthday, the song is that it's also the most poorly sung song. Like anytime you hear it, you're like, everybody is out of key. Yeah. Like nobody really cares to sing it. You're like, happy birthday. It's just, it's lazy. Totally. Except for that one person. It's like, we get it. You can yeah, sing. Exactly. Yeah, right. You're looking for a record deal. Yeah. It won't be discovered here. Um, but uh, that idea of being able to, being able to engage in awkwardness, I think is really empowering. And um, I learned it most specifically. Um, I created a theater show called Sex You, I'm Gonna. Um, I'm Gonna was in parentheses. Um, and the, it came out of this gig I did once where I was, um, on stage and it was, uh, asked for a volunteer and a bunch of people volunteered. And then I chose the volunteer and I was like, cool. Um, everybody gave a round of applause and was like, you're going to come up on stage and we're going to have sex in front of all these people. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a funny joke. But then, um, what transpired was like this really amazing show where I was trying to become sexier, more attractive to all the people in the audience. And then that turned into um, a kind of audience interactive show, which I performed a ton of times. And <laughs> what I realized is in the beginning, the harder it was, the easier it was to succeed, right? Because um, <clears throat> when you have a group of people, everybody wants it to go okay, right? Everybody wants it to be great. Yeah. Everybody wants it to be inspiring. And if you start out from a moment of just like... Um, Hey, everybody, here we are. And you don't have to, you don't try to make people feel comfortable, right? You just are present with them. You're all feeling the same thing. But as soon as it starts getting good, people really lean in and engage. Yeah. And the thing about dim sum is um, <clears throat> it's it's pretty specific in the way that we do it and in the, in the language that we use. We make sure that people aren't um, trying to come up with a great idea, right? So they come in, there's music playing, there's drinks, there's snacks, mm -hmm. and um, we're not trying to be friends. Right. We're here to do the work. Right. Um, so um, write down a problem. Doesn't have to be good. Right. You might not be that interesting, but your problem has to be interesting. If your problem is like the subways aren't on time, that's not a good problem. You're not doing a good <laughs> job. Do a better job. Say something that people haven't thought of. This is your one shot. And talking to people kind of aggressively. Right. Or creating an awkward environment um, creates a vibe yeah. and people fill it out. But then every single time, every single time we do dim sum, if there's somebody new, and they get up to present their idea. They go, some version of like, I don't think I did this right. Or this is pretty stupid, but right. And the third time, those people get up and they're like, here we go. Their ideas aren't better, right? But <laughs> right. they know their that images, like yeah. being awkward is okay, right? Um, and making stuff is awesome. So as long as there's a payoff, I think to answer your question, the thing that I've learned is as long as you can be confident that there's a payoff, the beginning doesn't matter. Like... Whatever it takes to get to the goodness, whatever right. it takes to get to the right thing, you have to deal with it and you have to just like know that it's going to succeed. And then it, well, it does. We, uh, we had an opportunity to put together like a two and a half day think tank called mm -hmm. Gov City. And it was before a bunch of like government officials and which was really crazy. So it was like Homeland Security, U.S. Yeah. Census Bureau. Um, but we f I found myself on a few calls saying, trust the goal. Mm hmm. Right. Like, forget about like what we're going to do in the room for those days. Like, trust that at the end of it, you, you will get what you need or and and, and then some. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, because I dim, I dim some, mm -hmm. Denson. 
Um, but I don't, now I lost my own train. <laughs> but no, it's just like that idea of trusting the goal. And I think it works the same way with your clients and your business. Is like, all right, we have the same end result in mind. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's awesome, um, which I want to segue into because uh, I became a statistic. I toyed around. Huh, I'm full of them today. I toyed <laughs> around with your Walmart experience, the mm-hmm. Walmart toy lab. Um, and I was like, I mean, I have a six year old, but he was not in the room and it was just me like, Oh, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then I, afterward I read the stats around it. Right. Uh, I think it was 179 million impressions, you know, uh, 8 million people like engaged with it. 13 and a half minutes average time. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a statistic. So, um, tell us about that experience in particular, uh, just because I personally, I, I did it, but also I think it's a great example of all the stuff we just talked about kind of resulting in something. Cool. Um, so we made that in collaboration with echo EKO, which is this incredible live action, interactive video platform. Um, and we've made a bunch of stuff with echo all sorts of different interactive experiences um and to kind of speak about that in general um i think the we're getting to a place where um we can call it like the dimensional internet right um it's no longer flat e-commerce experiences it's no longer flat um videos where you have to look at thumbnails um now there's enough bandwidth Right. And there's enough design capabilities that you can start engaging in stories um, in ways that feel really human. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, whether it's Bandersnatch on mm-hmm. Netflix or whether it's the Toy Lab or whether it's any of the other um, cool interactive videos that are on um, on the Internet, it allows you to engage with the power of choice, which is something that we've never really had before. You have it in real life, but the Internet has never really supported actual deep choice. And so now um, we're really excited about kind of creating work that gives people, whether it's kids or whether it's grownups, the opportunity to, again, not be told a story, but to engage in a narrative and explore and walk out of it um, with their own story. The way I like to think about it is um, it's we're building amusement parks yeah. and an amusement park um, basically whatever the sign says in the front, that's kind of the theme of the amusement park. And the more rides you go on, the more tickets you get. And what we're doing is making sure that when people leave, they're like, Oh my God, that was amazing. Here's what happened. And Mm -hmm. everybody's got their own story to tell. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I, I I like to refer to that as like mass personalization, Mm -hmm. right? Like mine is going to be different than yours, even though we did the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we did a project a few years ago, um, where we were for, for the launch of the flash for CW and, Mm -hmm. uh, Worked with a company called Two Bit Circus. Shout out to mm-hmm. Brent Bushnell, um, who's uh, anyway. They um, uh, we built this meta human test mm-hmm. on the back of a truck, so it was, we kind of recreated Star Labs, mm-hmm. and everybody went through the same seven exercises. But your score on the vibrational frequency exercise, mm-hmm. or the speed reading, or this was different. So we created a leaderboard, but it was just like this mass personalization. Like, what sort of meta human might I be? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, you know, again, to the example you just gave, or the thinking that goes goes into it is mm-hmm. yeah it's like the ability to have something uniquely yours in a space where that is almost impossible is, is pretty smart absolutely and it's not um it's not just a here we came up with a name for you it's something that you can construct <laughs> right. yourself i think the way that we right. the way that we frame it is um <clears throat> in the old days of the internet um you got a call to action mm-hmm. right um learn more you're like 
<laughs> right, right. I don't it's necessarily want to learn more. Um, but um, what we try to do is imagine that there's a button on everything, whether it's a real life experience or whether it's something online. Um, and we think about it as a call to experience. So instead of a CTA, um, we design CTEs. And the question that we're asking with everything that we do um, serves as an invitation. And then yeah. the answer is the, the payoff that you get. And that goes for all the different work that we make. Can you talk about the the hairline difference between marketing and brand experiences? Yep. Um, so I think about um, there's art and then there's art where you have to prove something. Um, and that to me is the difference between marketing and not marketing. What's the difference between BMW films and James Bond? It's really tough to put your finger on it. Mm -hmm. And as... Um, somebody who's had the opportunity to make a lot of artsy fartsy stuff. It's always about getting butts in seats. Congratulations right? on Yami, by the way. I'm, oh. I know I'm late to the party. Thank you. Thank but. you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, it's my best photo. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. I, I only saw what the award was, which was like like a, a, a different kind of documentary. I wrote it down, but I, uh, I can't read my writing. I can. Well, I can. I can New explain approaches it. to documentary. I can't read it. Yeah, so. it was like an it was an interactive documentary. But I can. I'm happy to talk about the Emmy anytime anybody wants to talk about it. But can let me answer the yeah, course, previous question. The, um, so, um, you know, art. You're done when you say you're done. I made this painting. It's perfect, right? You can't do that with brand experiences because it starts with like, we want people to do this. We want this behavior to happen right. and either it does or it doesn't. And as an improviser, as somebody who interacts with audiences, mm -hmm. that's a much more compelling challenge. And I would to take it a step further, say that, um, and <clears throat> an artist that says this is good because I said so, um, is, and then trying to sell their art is maybe being a little bit disingenuous because well, if you're trying to sell it, then you're trying to please somebody else, right? Was it really perfect when you were done? Whereas in advertising, people who go, all right, we got a brief, we're trying to satisfy this goal and we did or we didn't is in many ways a little bit more honest and a little bit more straightforward than art. So I'm not saying that all artists are liars and that all advertisers are the only honest people in the world. <laughs> but I do think um, as someone who makes stuff, I don't necessarily um, see that much of a line what I'm interested in is um, the scale, right? And the opportunity to bring something to life. And there's a red line that exists around the United States. Um, and inside that red line, there is no public funding for art. Outside of that red line, there is, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the most amazing immersive work is happening in like Canada and the Netherlands, right? Um, because it can be paid for. So in America, um, if you want to make stuff that involves technology and is expensive and really cool and reaches audiences that are really huge, um, you're going to engage in the world of, of brands. And I think there's lots of different ways to do that. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I think also just because when I think about brand experiences, yes, you got the spots and dots sort of marketing. And, and also, I'm always jealous of when people have a role in some, very much like what you do, but maybe they're inside of a company. And they don't necessarily have a KPI, right? They have the freedom to experiment. Most companies aren't structured to even support that or think about it in an intelligent way. Um, but then there's this idea of like, again, trusting the goal and we're going to get there. We're going to get you the KPIs and the engagement or the click or, you know, call to action, if you will. But we're going to do it in a very different way than you expect. And we're probably going to do it in a way that's a lot more sticky. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm in my head, I keep thinking about this, uh, the, can cam 
project, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, like, talk about that because that's that was such a weird like it's a can you never want to put down. And yeah. it's like okay, it's <laughs> very unorthodox. Mm, okay, so um, <clears throat> the can cam um, we made for uh, <clears throat> for the Knicks and uh, ultimately for Budweiser, um, and the it was a branded can. It was a Knicks branded can. Um, and so we, again, we took a very honest strategic point of view to reimagining the can. Um, and we started thinking about like, well, what problem are we solving? Right. And we realized that like, when you go to a sports event, you're watching the sports event, but then when you want to take a picture, you take a selfie Right. and the sports event is in the other direction. That is a major problem, right? Because I'm here with all my friends, but I got to choose. Is it going to be my friends or is it going to mm -hmm. be the game? So to through innovation, through deep, 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 deep <laughs> innovation, we were like, what if we put a can inside of a can? What if we put a camera inside of a, a 360 camera inside of a can? Um, and so we like tried to be as legit as possible around it. And we made three <laughs> different models. So there was the toast model, the hang model, and then the challenge model. And the toast model, the camera was on top. Um, so you would toast and it would be able to like capture you and your friends toasting at the game. Then the hang model was at the bottom. And so that would be like a 360 vision of like what it looked like from like below, like you and your friends all standing around in a circle. And then the challenge model, which was the hardest one to craft and I'm not getting it up, um, was inside of the can. And what was cool is, um, when you looked at one side of the can, you would see whatever the vision was, but as you traveled from one side to the other, it, you could see the inside of the can. You with me? Yes. I got, no, I got you. Okay. And so like, we really tried to like, um, take it really seriously, even though in many ways it was, um, it was a little bit of a shaggy dog story, but here's where it gets interesting is when we went to a Knicks game and we hung out and we gave it to a bunch of Knicks alumni, right? They were all psyched about it, right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, that's, that's the video I saw. We like, started giving ridiculous. it, yeah, we started giving it to Knicks fans. And when you give them the can, they're like, oh, weird, 360. But if you're like, imagine yourself at a game, right? Who's sitting next to you and who's playing on the field right. and old. Knicks fans, right? Like people who've been going to games their whole life were tearing up, right? And so when we talk about the technology, humans and taste, it wasn't the product that made a difference. It was the fact that we had kind of engaged in this insight that connected directly to a really emotional thing that people just don't engage with, yeah. right? And so people cried about our silly idea because they were like, yeah, like that would be my dream. And we didn't make it come true by creating a piece of technology. We made them imagine it, right? And so that's a form of reality. And that was something that they took away. And they, you know, thought about it a little bit differently, thanks to a piece of like really kind of chunky, yeah, <laughs> makery technology that we made. Um, that's better than what I pitched to Budweiser, which was take it in the can. <laughs> um so as we wind down as we wind down you try not to laugh eric i'm sorry so um uh you've seen a lot you've seen a lot of that uh what have you seen out in the world maybe in your direct world or otherwise that you personally have an innovation crush on so um <clears throat> i i'm i just so i went to a couple events recently that i thought were really inspiring one was um an ai uh conference at uh, Christie's and then one was an exhibit at the Barbican in uh, London 
I hope I said that right because my wife is English. And if I said it in a stupid way, she's going to be no really more wife. Me. Yeah, no more wife. That's it. Um, <laughs> what up in your relationship? Yeah. <laughs> I was on this podcast and I said barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, but it was about, it was about um, artificial intelligence and um, from a historical perspective. And so it was cool and it was inspiring, but um, I'm really fascinated um, with the idea of collaborating with uh, digital intelligences. And it's something we're really focused on um, internally and um, something that I think is going to, um, some of the art that's happening in the world of artificial intelligence is like a whole new type of beautiful and it's bad. Right. And it, but like that to me means I just don't understand it yet. Like whenever Prince would come out with music where mm -hmm. I was like tried to listen to it and didn't get it, um, I would say to myself, you just don't get it yet. It's not that it's bad. It must be good, right? I just don't understand it yet. Um, except for maybe what we can talk about after. Alphabet Street, I think, is a horrible song. <laughs> I'm going it's no, it's, it's nope. a, not right. a good song. Um, but uh, so I'm really, I'm really excited about um, that that form of collaboration. And as I said, I think just the power of choice um, yeah. is really cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, and last but not least, mm -hmm. complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is? The art of never repeating yourself. Hmm. Run that by me again. You have to say the first part or else it um, doesn't make sense. No, <laughs> no, no. Like explain it. That's it. I, I, I think I know where you're getting at, but um, explain. I think that... Um, <clears throat> People think about innovation in a lot of different ways, right? Um, innovation is like, you know, bleeding edge. We've never seen this before, right? Um, I would argue that like the CanCam, innovation that, that I really find amazing is um, doing something old in a brand new way. Um, so rather than looking forward and saying like, what, what's the newest thing I can do? Looking back and say, what can we do better? And one, um, one thing we talk about a lot at work is that... Um, Pizza is an innovative technology if you think of it as spaghetti with a handle. Um, <laughs> because there was a moment when somebody, they probably had like flour, right? Um, and some water, maybe like an egg. And they put it together and like, oh, we made this, right? And then they're like cooking it. Um, and it was hot. They can't eat it with your hands. So then like, ah, oh, they use a fork, right? Fork. And then you need a spoon, mm -hmm. right? And so now you've got like a fork and a spoon and these long noodles. It's like a horrible user experience. And if somebody had just said, hold up for a second, <laughs> there's got to be a better way. How would we add a handle? Somebody, if they tried enough times, would be like, well, if we throw a little yeast in it, we won't need these forks, right? And if you think about it, and I've thought about it, pizza is better than pasta because A, it's more convenient right? Mm -hmm. B, you don't have to finish it in the way that you have to finish pasta. And it's easier to put stuff on it that you like, because with pasta, a lot of the ingredients end up on the bowl because you hmm. can't get them all. No, so that's, before that's, the same time. Can I you like delete how, the I like last how, part? No, no. <laughs> I like how it was loosely rooted in like some kind of historical evidence, but not really, mm -hmm. but it works. Mm -hmm. um, which only reminds me of a really bad joke that a comedian once said. He said to me, uh, sex is like pizza. Mm -hmm. Even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. What's your favorite? What's your favorite stand-up comedy joke? Oh, oh, uh, I'd have to dig in the crates of uh, Mitch Hedberg. 
to. I was just, you know what I was thinking? Yeah. Um, rice is a really great if you want to eat 3,000 of something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, I can do mention hamburger all day. Yeah. Um, where can people find out more about technology, humans, and taste, or you, or whatever yeah. else you want to do? <clears throat> um, visit us at that.site, S I T E. Um, and that'll take you to technologyhumansandtaste.com. And um, definitely anyone who's in New York City, um, every Friday at four o'clock at 120 Walker Street on the second floor, we host Dim Sum Club. Um, there's mailing lists, there's reach out. We have an internal curator who brings in interesting people um, from Uber drivers we ride with to uh, Tony winners. Um, oh. And we all come together on Friday and smash our heads together and come up with uh, new ideas. So definitely come join us. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for coming here. Hey, thank you. It was a really fun conversation. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>